Greetings. Welcome to today's meeting. I'm Fernando, alcoholic. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change those things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Today, we're going to be reading Daily Reflections, 24-hour little book, as Bill sees it, and Grapevine, plus uh, Proverbs 6 from uh, King Solomon, my sponsor. Here we go, Daily Reflections. Going with the flow for November the 6th, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, 12 and 12, page 96. The first words I speak when arising in the morning are, I arise, O God, to do your will. This is the shortest prayer I know, and it is deeply ingrained in me. Prayer doesn't change God's attitude towards me. It changes my attitude toward God. As distinguished from prayer, meditation is a quiet time without words. To be centered is to be physically relaxed, emotionally calm, mentally focused, and spiritually aware. One way to keep the channel open and to improve my conscious contact with God is to maintain a grateful attitude. On the days when I am grateful, good things seem to happen in my life. The instant I start cursing things in my life, however, the flow of good stops. God did not interrupt the flow. My own negativity did. And now, the reading of 24-hour little book. Fear and worry had me down. They were increased by my drinking. I worried about what I had done when I was drunk. I was afraid of what the consequences might be. I was afraid to face people because of the fear of being found out. Fear kept me in hot water all the time. I was a nervous wreck from fear and worry. I was a tied-up bundle of nerves. I had a fear of failure, of the future, of growing old, of sickness, of hangovers, of suicide. I had a wrong set of ideas and attitude. When AA told me to surrender these fears and worries to a higher power, I did so. I now try to think fate instead of fear. Have I put in place of, of fear? Meditation of the, the day. Spiritual power is God in action. God can only act through human beings. Whenever you, however weak you may be, allow God to act through you, then all you think and say and do is spiritually powerful. It is not you alone who produces a change in the lives of others. It is also the divine spirit in you and working through you. Power is God in action. God can use you as a tool to accomplish miracles in people's lives. Prayer for the day. I pray that I may try to let God's power act through me today. I pray that I may get rid of those blocks which keep his power from me. Amen. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. I'm here fully clothed and in my right mind only by the grace of God. I thank God that I'm not pushing daisies like a lot of my friends and a lot of people that didn't make it in the program are. You know, they cut their lives short around age 30, 18, 19. 
so sad, you know, that the, all we needed was just a, a little bit of formatted information to keep us in the right direction, already learned from our uh, mishaps, and just say, there's got to be a better way to live. There's always a better way. There's millions and billions of better ways to live by saying uncle. Once I said uncle, then I was released from my apparent uh, uh, anger and I was able to relax and I was able to get direction. I said, I said, as soon as I said, okay, Lord, I'm in a headlock. I say, uncle, release me. And I was released to joy and, and a daily reprieve. In page 163, as Bill sees it, it says, who can render an account of all the miseries that once were ours? And who can estimate the release and joy that the later years have brought to us? Who can possibly tell the vast consequences of what God's work through AA has already set in motion? And who can penetrate the deeper mysteries of our wholesale deliverance from slavery, a bondage to a most hopeless and fatal obsession which for centuries possessed the minds and bodies of men and women like ourselves? We think cheerfulness and laughter make for youthfulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? We have recovered. We have helped others to recover. What greater cause could there be for rejoicing than this? I'm Fernando. I'm fully clothed and my right mind. <laughs> Thank you, God. I'm not all there because I'm right here doing the deal. And now for some humor. There was a, I believe there was a 75-year-old guy that got sober up in the Sacramento area. And his sponsor was 80 years old. But the guy was so negative. Years and years and years of criticizing, condemning. When he came in, he didn't believe anything. He was critical. And his sponsor just about had it with him. You know the deal. So he told him, I want you to say God bless you to everything you see. I want you to God bless you 20 people a day. As a matter of fact, I want you to put 10 dimes in one pocket and as you say, God bless you 20 times, keep bringing a dime over to the next pocket. So you'll go around and making your quota. And call me when you finish your quota for the day and see what experiences you got. So the old man started switching those 10 cents around because they were lighter than pennies and blessing people. After a while, he got sober, a year or so, and then he uh, headed over to do some gambling over in Lake Tahoe on the Nevada side. He drove his new shiny Cadillac, and he's driving over Highway 50, went over there, gambled, ate, played some, lost some money, and then he's coming back. And, and it's only a two-lane highway. And he said some kids were trying to pass him, and they were honking and so forth, and he was just playing music, having a good time. By the time they were able to pass him, they honked at him, yelled at him, and threw beer cans on his car. And he just went out to rip them, and he said, God bless you, and he pointed at it. And then he put his hand in his mouth. He said, what did I just do? 
He said he pulled over and he didn't see any scratch, any beer, or anything on the car. As a matter of fact, guys, I was in Sacramento in the traditional group, in the traditions, and I heard him tell me the story. That's where it was. It's that story. Amen. So, let's do the same thing. Let's remember to bless. God bless you. The rich, the poor, everyone alike. Everyone that's three feet in front of us. Anyone that a red light is in front of us. The person in front of us. Let's get our quota in. And what we dish out into the future will come back out and hit us in the head. <laughs> our next story is on the grapevine. The year is 2023, March of this year. It's an article of a person. Wow, what a coincidence. I knew that. Sober at 75. It took a while for alcohol to catch up to him and even longer for him to admit it. But, oh, life is so much better. On the surface, I have led a normal middle-class life in the suburbs. I have a split-level house with a big backyard and two children, a boy and a girl. My wife and I raised and nurtured our kids from kindergarten through graduate school. We were both actively involved in their school activities and their school sports. Eventually, the kids grew up, left home, married, and now live good lives largely independent of their parents. When they left, my wife and I were alone in the house. As we entered our 60s, we cut back our working hours. Both of us had more free time. I didn't handle it as well as my wife, and I slowly began to drink too much. That is when I tipped over into being an alcoholic. I began to plan my drinkings. I hid my bottles and bought my liquor in different stores. The trash cans was always a problem. In retrospect, all my actions were common alcoholic behavior that didn't go unnoticed by my wife, co-workers, and friends and neighbors. They suggested I needed help. Huh. And I agreed to go to outpatient therapy. But I still harbored the idea that I could control my drinking. I just needed to be more disciplined, more understanding, and more aware of the biochemical nature of addiction. I believe that through extensive knowledge of my problem, I could control it. After several months of therapy, my pride and hubris, H-U-B-R-I-S, told me it was time for me to move on. At every session, everyone was breathalyzed, so I decided to flunk the test royally. I blew a .24 on the machine and was asked to leave turn my car keys in at the desk, and call for a ride. Being brilliant, I turned my car keys in at the desk, but the keys I turned in weren't the ones for my car in the parking lot. So I drove home, uneventfully. How reckless, dangerous, and selfish of me. How stupid. Now I believe I was free to go on drinking as I pleased. No more classes, no more breathalyzer tests. I decided that my Alcoholic drinking and other disappointments in my life were essentially personal failures of determination and imagination. I was sure I could redeem myself with a fierce effort. I eventually realized how lucrative that was. Lucrative? Ludicrous. Ludicrous. 
I was profoundly disappointed with my failure to stop drinking. I soon became afraid I had lost control. My fear arose less from what I already lost than what I might still lose. Two weeks later, my family held an intervention. I agreed to go away for a month to an inpatient treatment center. That was the beginning of my true recovery. I like to say it's been a smooth and uneventful process. It has not. In the nine years I've been in AA, I have relapsed many times because I didn't work the program. Today, I'm trying to do things right. I have a good sponsor whom I call almost daily, which is sometimes new for me. Soon, I will be 75. I have been retired for three years. I attend more than six virtual AA meetings a week, and I go to my outpatient meetings as well. My wife and I now plan our future together, a luxury that didn't exist until I stopped drinking. What have I learned so grudgingly and slowly? That AA is where I learned to stop drinking. It's also a great place to analyze our good points and bad points. Self-analysis is something most people don't do when life is rolling along smoothly. However, it is an essential part of AA. I found it very difficult to admit that I was powerless over alcohol, as I had been reasonably successful in my life. Helplessness wasn't in my vocabulary. AA provided the tools. I needed to be honest with myself along with a great support group eager to help. But unwavering willingness must be there too. If I am to be truly successful, AA provides a way. What am I going through is not unique. The beauty of AA fellowship is that we are willing to share even a little of the mystery that lurks in dark places within. AA also brings out the best in humanity. We care for each other and we feel better for the effort. Compassion benefits us all. My journey in sobriety after more than nine years of faltering has begun in earnest. I will continue with my AA meetings. I very carefully built a house of bricks that can withstand the efforts of the big bad wolf alcohol. And I'm not alone. Everyone, to some extent, lives in a state of uncertainty. It's how I respond to the uncertainty that's important. I'm so lucky my solution happens to have initials that begin our alphabet. <laughs> Ralph F. from Plainsville, New York. Amen. What a beautiful story. Let me go ahead and throw another one in there. This is a short one. This is by Ruthie S. from Luberton, Texas. She says, in 1985, <clears throat> I was a teacher at a Christian academy in Senegal, West Africa, Senegal. A couple of years before I went to teach there, I had become involved with the church and I was able to stop drinking. I thought my religious state of mind was all I needed in order to stay sober. God did many wonderful things in my life in spite of me, yet I found myself restless, irritable, and most discontent. One day, the academy invited our staff to come to hear a man talk about AA. There was a problem with drinking among some of the people at the school. I remember the gentleman who spoke to us that day was very tolerant and patient. I really don't remember exactly what he shared with us, but as soon as 
he stopped and asked for questions, I jumped from my seat in a very angry and, I know now, fearful way. I demanded that we didn't need AA. We only needed the God I thought I knew. I remember feeling embarrassed after my trade tirade because he just continued to speak politely. When I got back to the U.S., I went to talk with some professionals about treatment or going into a hospital for my mental state. When they suggested that I could be helped with their services, I became extremely upset and thought they were just trying to take my money. My depression and unhappiness continued. Then one Sunday at church, I got on my knees and prayed for God to show me a sign of what I needed to do. I remembered even telling him I go to the hospital or AA or whatever he would guide me to do. I went back to my seat and an old friend who only attended our church that one day was sitting in front of me. I knew he was involved in AA and I asked him where I should go. The following Tuesday night, I went to a meeting which became my home group. Since the beginning of my sobriety, I've thought of the nice gentleman in Dakar who came to share his story with us. I've so often told this story and thought I would love to write Grapevine so maybe I could one day find him. Whoever you are, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You were the first person to bring AA to me. You touched the soul of this drunk and planted a seed that grew. Ruthie is from Lumberton, Texas. Thank you, Ruthie, and thank you, Ralph, for writing your stories and sending them in to us. Amen. And with that, let's go ahead and jump to our sponsor, King Solomon. And today's reading will be out of uh, an easy translation. Don't you just love about the message translation? Here we go. Proverbs 6. Like a deer from the hunter, dear friend. If you gonna if you gone into hawk with your neighbor, dear friend, or locked yourself in a deal with a stranger while you were drinking in a bar, if you impulsively promised the shirt off your back and now you find yourself shivering out in the cold, friend, don't waste a minute. Get yourself out of that mess. You're in that man's clutches. Go put on a long face. Act desperate. Don't procrastinate. There's no time to lose. Run like a deer from the hunter. Fly like a bird from the trapper. You lazy fool. Look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer, it stores up food. At harvest, it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this, you can look forward to a dirt poor life. Poverty, your permanent house guests. Swindlers and scoundrels talk out of both sides of their mouths. They wink at each other. They shuffle their feet. They cross their fingers behind their backs. 
their perverse minds are always cooking up something nasty, always steering up trouble. Catastrophe is just around the corner for them, a total wreck, their lives ruined beyond repair. Seven things God hates. Here are six things God hates and one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hates the innocent. A, a heart that hates evil plus. Feet that race down a wicked track. A mouth that lies under oath. A troublemaker in the family. Okay, let's go over that list again. Take it from the from the back. Say, a troublemaker in the family. That's what God hates. A mouth that lies under oath cannot tell the truth or be honest to themselves. Feet that raise down a wicked track always want to be doing something evil. A heart that hatches evil plots. Hands that murder the innocent. Whoa. A tongue that lies. Eyes that are arrogant. That's what God hates. Warning and adultery. Good friend, follow your father's good advice. Don't wander off from your mother's teaching. Wrap yourself in them from head to foot. Wear them like a scarf around your neck. Wherever you walk, they'll guide you. Wherever you rest, they'll guard you. When you wake up, they'll tell you what's next. For sound advice is a beacon. Good teaching is a light. Moral discipline is a life path. They'll protect you from the promiscuous woman, from the adulterous woman, from the seductive talk of some temptress. temptress. Don't lustfully fantasize on her beauty, nor be taken in by her bedroom eyes. You can buy an hour with a prostitute for a loaf of bread, but a promiscuous woman may well eat you alive. Can you build a fire on your lap and not burn your pants? Can you walk barefooted on hot coals and not get blistered? It's the same when you have sex with your neighbor's wife. Touch her and you'll pay for it. No excuses. Hunger is no excuse for a thief to steal. When he is caught, he has to pay it back, even if he has to put his whole house on in hock. Adultery is a brainless act soul-destroying, self-destructive. Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. For jealousy detonates rage in a cheated husband. While for revenge, he won't make allowances. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. Neither bribes nor reason will satisfy him. Thank you so much for coming on today's reading of this short articles. May the Lord bless you, and I thank God for you. Let's go ahead and pray out with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working.